Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 58. Today I'm joined with Kurt Hens of BAM Weather and I also have Gina Nardis here with me as well. And uh, today I got Kurt on the podcast to basically go over what he sees happening uh, with the weather going through the planting season as well as what's happening in the uh, in the wheat belt and maybe some other areas too like Argentina and um, Australia. So Kurt, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, I appreciate you guys for having me very much. Great. So, Kurt, give me a little background on BAM weather and yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had a passion for weather as a kid probably since I was five years old. My my dad and I actually, funny story, every storm that would, would come by, we would always watch it by on the weather channel. We would always set our, our lawn chairs out on the driveway, and we would always just watch the storms come in. My parents would often find me on top of the roofs of our house. Just, just I was just crazy about weather. Um, I actually joined BAM um, after I graduated from high school. I had a, a couple, or from college actually, um, about a year and a half ago. Um, and we we just our company has exploded. You know, we were finding some good success. We're we're all really happy and love what we do. We're all really passionate. Um, we actually launched our ag weather service probably a couple, two or three years ago. Um, this past couple of years that they really took off, and we're kind of all over the place. The entire ag belt now, and then we also forecast for. South America as well. So uh, we just bring a lot of passion and we, we all just love what we do every day. Well, great. So here we are. Um, we're probably 30 days out, 45 days out from yeah. in the middle of planting during, um, for the corn belt. So give us, uh, give us a look at what you see happening in the weather, uh, across the corn belt and also guys even further. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what, obviously the, what, what's happened over the past four or five months, especially like the western part of the Ag Belt, specifically looking at you know Kansas, western Oklahoma, the Panhandle, northern Texas, is obviously it's been extremely dry. I know a couple of our clients in western Kansas, eastern Colorado, haven't seen a drop of rain over the past five months. What's actually happened is um, in the logging pattern that we've had, we just have a, a southern United States ridge, or, or when I say ridge, I mean an area of high pressure, so it's, it's bringing that consistent hot and dry scenario there to a lot of the folks and the, the moisture is just staying north and to the east. So what we kind of think happens in spring is, is basically that continues through March, April, May. What we see is, you know, kind of draw a line across the eastern half of Iowa, the eastern half of Missouri, basically east of the Mississippi. We think that's kind of where the precipitation is going to be mainly focused, the rainfall, the, the storms. Unfortunately, we think kind of west of that area, uh, we think it's just going to be dominated by high pressure. It's going to be warmer than normal, a little bit drier than normal. So well, we think it's going to be an ag belt split, honestly. I, I think the eastern half, similarly to last spring, where the eastern half was very dry and we were or excuse me, very wet and cool and active, and west was a little bit more dry and, and warmer. So in a lot of ways, it, it resembles last March. Uh, you know, we've got a ton of rainfall coming right now to, you know, the Boot Hill, Missouri, all the way into the Ohio Valley. So it, it just feels a lot like like, like early spring of last year. So uh, in summary, I, I think the western half of the belt is feeling a little bit warmer and drier to, to kind of start off the planting season. So there's already some guys starting to plant um, in way south Texas. So how's the weather kind of been? Uh -huh. Yeah, so I, I think in that area – I think we're we're going to be trending a little bit warmer warmer than normal too. Um, in terms of precipitation, I've got our maps up here on our website. So I think overall in March, 
for that area down there. We're, we're going to see some warmth. I think there will be some bouts of precipitation in Texas. I think mainly the dry areas are going to be focused across like northern Texas into the panhandles uh, in the four corners, that kind of area. So I do think we, we have a good opportunity, at least in March, for some from precipitation. But for, for temperatures, I, I think we're overall going to be pretty warmer than normal. Yeah. We get a lot of irrigation mm -hmm. water out of the mountains. And right now there's not a lot of snow. Sure. And it seems like over the last two or three years, it's been a pretty pretty safe bet that, you know, March and April were going to be some pretty heavy snow months. Do you see something similar to that happen in the, in the mountains for this year? Um, honestly, we, we don't really see a whole lot of that um, just because of that high pressure. So what's kind of happened this year is the western United States overall for winter, just think of the overall winter pattern, was we've had a lot of high pressure west in the western United States, and that's just brought some anomalous warmth and some anomalous dryness to that kind of area you refer to, to getting that, that snow melt, that, that water melt there as well. Um, I, I just don't really see that changing a whole lot. I, I don't think we get maybe what you, you would normally say you would get from that snow melt because of that area of high pressure. And, and uh, I, I just unfortunately think we're a little bit below normal precipitation in that respect as well. Pretty much what's in the mountains now as far as snow goes, do you, you see much more snow coming that way or do you see it pretty much kind of tailing off from this point forward. Yeah, we, we, we think we're, we're on the downslope in terms of the actual snowfall. I think there's opportunity. I think you, maybe through the first seven or 10 days of March, there is opportunity for uh, some more troughs or area of, areas of low pressure to kind of swing through that area and maybe bring uh, some snow to that area. But I think beyond, say, let's, let's say the 15th of March, through the second half of March into April, we, we think a kind of a ridge or an area of high pressure sets up in the central United States. And, and that's going to mean two things. That means it's going to be warm and dry again. So I think we're really limited in terms of, you know, getting that, that moisture that you're referring yeah. to. Overall, I mean, and I'll be honest with you, some of the, the research that we've done, even as, as close as this week for summer, see, I'll, I'll kind of break down summer, how, how we think it's going to pan out meteorologically, meteorologically. So right now we're kind of in a La Nina state in the atmosphere. Um, that's kind of been the result for that southern U.S. ridge there, too. So what we kind of seeing as we're going deeper into spring and into summer is we kind of see that La Nina eroding away to more like a, a neutral Enzo or El Nino southern oscillation that, that you're either El Nino or La Nina. So we, what we think happens is we kind of get rid of La Nina. And what actually happens, the quicker that you go into a, an Enzo neutral phase in the atmosphere, actually the research shows that we've done that you can turn drier and warmer across the ag belt faster. So we think we, we probably lose this La Nina in March or early April. So uh, we, that's, that's kind of the basis behind why we think this summer is specifically the Western half of the belt. So take a slice again, Iowa, Missouri points to the East. We think there is a lot of heat. And unfortunately we, we have that area in much below normal precipitation as well. We think really only the, the moisture and, and some cooler conditions are going to be across the, the eastern belt or like the Illinois, Indiana, Ohio locations. So what's you said you cover some weather for South America. So tell us a little bit about what's yeah, yeah. there and yeah. how that's affecting the crops down there. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that um, I actually do our South America forecast every day um, and what we've just been talking about probably – I feel like for the past six weeks, maybe it's been eight weeks, is just the Argentina dryness. It's just been incredible. Um, it's just a, 
it's a result of kind of the La, the La Nina phase down there is moisture is just is just getting pushed across central Brazil and we're just left with a bunch of high pressure and warmth and dryness across Argentina. It's kind of been an incredible pattern. We, a lot of those areas are seeing, you know, 10 to 25% the normal across, you know, like Buenos Aires, Cordoba, which are two of the huge areas, provinces for, for corn and soybeans down there, Santa Fe, Entre Rio. So I, I personally and our team, we kind of see that pattern lingering through at least mid-March for Argentina, the, the warmth and the dry. And uh, from all the, the agronomists and some of our clients that we talked to, we, they, we're kind of in agreement that, you know, if we, we continue to warmth and dry through mid-March across Argentina, a, a lot of that crop down there is going to be really, really hurting in a bad way. So um, on the flip side for, for Brazil, you know, they've gotten the moisture. They've been a little bit cooler. Um, we're, I've, I've saw a couple of reports today that we can see, you know, close to another record crop for, for soybeans, at least in, in Brazil. So it's kind of a cause and effect. We've got all this moisture in Brazil and we're, we're hot and dry in Argentina. So uh, maybe they balance each other out. I, I just know that Argentina, it's just been a rough go this year. So Australia's had a pretty big drought this year. And with there being such a, a large, sure, yeah, it has moved the price of wheat up a little bit. So Give, give me uh, kind of a overall view of, of what you see happening in Australia right now. Yeah, and, and we don't we don't deal a, a ton of stuff with Australia, but um, what I've actually found, and, and it's funny, um, the correlation is a lot of times you can find the correlation between you know an Australian drought and an Argentina drought. So kind of their similar patterns are, are pretty related. So I think as long as this Argentina drought continues to go on, you know through. Uh, March, I, I could see similar things going on through Australia too. So um, I, I, I do think those dry risks probably continue. Um, people get kind of antsy when, you know, we're, we are in the camp of, of warm and dry for both planting season and in uh, the growing season for especially the western half of the belt. Obviously, we know there's a, a bunch of uh, a lot of the major crop areas are in that location. So um, a lot of people are, are kind of throwing around 2012. We're not in the camp of saying, you know, this is going to be a 2012 by any means. I think last year was a huge um, eye-opener. You know, we, a lot of the areas, specifically looking at Iowa, for example, you know, we saw some most of the areas seeing 25 50% the normal rain. However, we, we got some really crucial rains in, you know, the pollination time frame. So, and those are kind of what we call timely rain. So, it, I think it's just incredible how the hybrids these days and the actual crop can survive even much below normal precipitation as long as they get those timely rains. So it could be another scenario similar to that where we have a lot of areas that are really dry. Uh, if we just get those timely rains when it matters in you know June and July, that could be a, a lifesaver for the crop. But the difference, the major difference between this year and going into this planting season and last season is last year we were going in a lot wetter than where we are now. And, and we've seen a lot of areas that are in a pretty significant drought. So if there's any difference between this year and last year, is it's how dry we're starting out, specifically looking at, you know, Kansas, parts of Missouri, western Missouri, southern Nebraska, even parts of, you know, western Iowa as well. So if there's a concern, um, it could be that we just escalate into a drought faster versus last year. So I, I think that's that, that's about it. I, I would just encourage everybody to keep a close eye to the weather because, um, we turn warm and dry quickly in, in spring, and, and that could have some big implications. So it's a kind of a wait-and-see kind of deal. Going into planting season right now, are we looking at the same level of rain that we saw last year? I mean, is it going to be that so, 
just yeah. buckets type of deal, and we don't know if we're going to get the crop plant or not? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's a great question. I, I personally, and I think our team would agree um, that no, it, it won't be, it won't be that kind of a scenario. It feels like it right now. Cause uh, I, I've got a couple guys that are in the boot hill, Missouri right now. And they're texting me, man, we just got six, seven inches of rain. Like, I don't know how we're going to get stuff planted. And fortunately it does look like as we get into March, the pattern really relaxes in terms of that much rainfall. So I don't see any signals. Last season, it was extremely clear that we we saw that the signal was going to be a very heavy rainfall to stick around for a while. Just not just not seeing a similar kind of a pattern like that. So, I think the the easy answer right now is I don't think we're we're going to see what we saw last year. So, which is probably a, a good thing for a lot of people. No, that's good because it it seems like there's a uh, every year's a struggle for the last couple of years. So hopefully this year won't be such a struggle. Yeah, to get things planted. Yeah, I, I agree. At least, at least get it started off without four replants. That would be nice. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Kirk, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered it here. So yeah. I appreciate you being on the podcast. Absolutely, I appreciate it, guys. Happy to be on anytime. All right, I want to thank uh, Kirk Hines for being uh, being up here from Bam Weather. Really appreciate what he had there to talk about. I got Aaron Finn on the phone and Gina Nard just sitting across from me. And I think we're going to hit a couple things here today. One, we want to talk about a feedlot guy who was selling the stuff out and uh, down around Burlington. So we'll, we'll talk about that. And then we're also going to hit on what we see happening with the older tractor market. We talk about a lot of newer stuff on here, but we don't really spend a lot of time talking about the uh, older stuff. So we're going to take a look at, at basically the OT 10s and 20 series tractors and, and maybe go back a little further than that and, and what they're what their effect is on the market and how they're shaping up to what uh, what's out there. So, Gina, glad you're here. Yeah, I'm excited. All right on, Aaron. What's up, buddy? Woo! You forgot your Rick Flair right on. Come on now. <laughs> All right. So let's... it's a good day. It's it's 25 degrees and sunny. Well, yeah, that's a plus. It's not snowing. That's what's a it's big. It's 25 here, so it's like 55 in Illinois. Yeah, it's, I'm so sick of the cold weather, but. Um, Let's talk about Aaron and I went down to that auction uh, on Monday last this week and uh, looked at a couple different um, a couple different uh, items that were down there that we were interested in to watch them sell and then we also uh, had some uh, a good breakfast had a really good breakfast yeah we had a, <laughs> we had a lights out breakfast and then we also looked at there were a couple machines that we were interested watching them sell and we were going to try to buy some wheel loaders but couldn't get around to doing it so. Um, Aaron, what's your opinion of that of that sale, and, and what do you think the overall outcome of it was? I think the outcome of it was pretty good. I think they ought to be pretty happy. Um, I feel like the you know it was it was a different kind of sale because you had a lot of feed trucks, um, feed lot pickups, and everybody can imagine what those are, um, and. You know, you had, they had what, uh, three aught series with dozers? Yeah. Um, you know, and they were, they were above average for a feedlot tractor. They looked pretty dang good. Um, of course, all had bald tires because that's the way they look in a feedlot. Um, but they weren't, they weren't all beat to death and all that kind of stuff. They were still 10,000 plus hour tractors and, you know, your main market for that, unless the guy's looking for, cheap horsepower is south of the border but they did well enough that 
they they went way past south on the border numbers, you yeah. know. Um, on the their trucks and stuff, I think they did pretty well. There's a couple of them that were a little light, but you know, it ain't it ain't like they were sitting on Peterbilt lot either. So, right. all in all, I think they did all right. The hash browns at the VFW were really good too. Yeah, they were they were pretty good. The uh, probably the highlight of the auction was that uh, vintage Pepsi pop machine. That, yeah. that was, that was some lucky fellow from Western Nebraska took that home. <laughs> it's sweet, wicked sweet. I got to plug it in and see if it works, but well, uh, I hope hopefully it does. But it's uh, I've always wanted one, and I finally got one. I'm so excited. Pops included. Well, it's yeah, and you got to keep in mind it's the choice of a new generation. That's true. That's true. Might burn you up while you're doing it, but it'll work. <laughs> All right, so my opinion of that auction, I thought stuff brought uh, good money for what it was. Um, again, the Hot Series tractors that were there, I thought they brought pretty close to what I was expecting them to bring. Um, maybe just a little bit more than what I, than what I was anticipating. They were good-looking tractors. Uh, two negatives, obviously, they were from a feedlot, so that always has a, a negative connotation with a lot of people. Um, when you when you start talking to them about it, it was a feedlot tractor and the other thing is for the most part they needed tires all the way around them so that really um, kind of drug the price down a little bit but I was still surprised that they brought what they brought um, had they had fresh tires on them I think they'd probably have been in the 60s as the way the way guys are bidding on them so um, kind of gives you an idea where that market's at um, there was a 9320 right was it yeah Ninety-three toy had three-point PTO or no, sorry, just PTO, and um, had five thousand hours on it, and it brought it brought fairly decent money for what a uh, for what I would expect to have. A tractor like that, with five thousand hours on it, a PTO is is a, is a sought-after tractor. A lot of guys are looking for that. They want a grain cart tractor, but they want to spend hundred plus thousand dollars on it. So I was, I know that was probably the uh, probably the jewel of the. Uh, um, of the auction, a lot of guys called and had a lot of interest in that. You know, we were talking to the auctioneer after we got done. So, um, I think overall it was a it was a pretty good deal. All right, so now let's jump let's jump in here and we'll start talking about um, Ot series, ten series, twenty series tractors, and what we see happen in the marketplace. So, Gina, you bounce around on the internet and you see stuff, you value those kind of things. Where do you see that market at right now, and AC it trending? So anything with under 5,000 hours seems to be kind of a hot, hot, hot commodity with farmers. There's a lot of guys looking for that tractor, um, you know, looking to upgrade their 4450s to up to um, a 30 series tractor or, or what have you. So I, yeah, there's a lot of guys looking for that tractor and there just isn't as many out there right now. Um, because we're, we're looking at a lot of trades right now, and a lot of those trades have, you know, six, 7,000 hours on them. Um, and so it, it just seems to be the break. The break there is about 5,000, 5,500 hours, um, where a lot of guys are looking for that, that, that trade, um, but they really want it to be under 5,000 hours. Yeah. Darren, you see a lot. We're, we're looking at a lot of machines right now, and the number of those units that are coming in now that have, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000 hours on them, it's not really really becoming that uncommon of a thing now. So with your travels and your, your internet uh, presence and the stuff that you have going on out there, where do you see that market headed and, and what do you see happening? 
Oh, there, there is a strong demand for them. Um, obviously, like Gina was saying, the the biggest kicker is in that market right now. I feel like there's there's uh like a there's there's it's a very I'm tripping over my words there. It's it's kind of an oddity because. Well, I shouldn't say that because all of them, I was going to say, you know, you're getting that like five to 10, 5,000 to 10,000 hours is a, is kind of hard to peg it. You might have, you know, I know we had, we had an 8410 that was a home run as far as I'm concerned, 8,000 hour tractor priced accordingly, very nice unit. And I talked to a bunch of guys on that, and everybody's like, yeah, that's not too bad. Uh, kind of dragging their feet. You know, and one of our guys sold it the other day. But I, I, uh, those, those things are hard to pick. You know, I, what I, what I would think, and keep in mind, I, cheap wins in my book. I thought it was a heck of a deal. But, you know, you're at that 8,000, creeping up on 9,000-hour range, and everybody kind of, well, I don't know. It's getting up there. The very next day, you could have a 7,500-hour tractor. Granted, that's 1,000 hours, but it's not 5,000-hour difference. For way more money, guys trip over themselves to get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've watched several. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that the demand is there. They're they're definitely in an uptick, but you know, from a dealer, machinery trader, whoever scenario, you, you, you still got to be darn careful on them. You know, the 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 demand is there. You'll sell it quick, but it's got to be right. And I, you know, honestly, all jokes aside, that I could see that being a very hot ticket for a farmer to sell, you know, mm-hmm. be like, I think I can pop this in 10 minutes and I'm going to throw it out there, see what happens. And he very well might pop it in 10 minutes mm-hmm. or he might find out what I was just saying, you know, for whatever reason, it's, it's an 8,000 hour tractor. And if it was seven, everybody'd be tripping over themselves type of deal. Yeah. So I think the condition, the condition goes a long ways too. I mean, that makes a huge difference into what the value of that piece is. Um, you know, if, if you look at who's trading it in and you know that that customer was taking good care of it, or you know that they replaced maybe the injectors, you know, a thousand hours ago, I think that plays a huge role into what that piece is worth. Yep. Another thing too is tires. I think in today's marketplace, anytime that you can give someone a premium for a for a value price you know um it goes a long ways and especially with the cost of tires right now i mean we're looking at 80 those 8400 8, tractors that we were looking at that last auction we went to I mean, you're looking at twenty five thousand dollars to put new tires all the way around that thing and that's that's a significant investment it's you're looking at on that stuff so if you have one of those machines now that are seven eight thousand hours and you've got 50 60 percent rubber on it i think you're you have a a pretty solid tractor that guys are going to be looking for assuming that you have it priced correctly. Right. Yeah. And you're right. Rubber, rubber and weights, two huge deals on them. 
because you're you're looking in say throw a dart at the board the fifty thousand dollar tractor and you got to put six tires on that that's a big percentage of your investment to re-rubber it yeah you're going to spend some money Where, that's for darn sure right right whereas if you look at it from percent of your total investment or however you want to word that on an 8r that has eight wheel eight tires you're even though you're two more tires you're still a far less percentage of your investment mm -hmm. yeah so what, let's let's talk about the uh older four-wheel drive market now so again we're go for the ot series and the 20 series four-wheel drives that we that we start looking at now again it's all coming back to condition more than anything. And the more it's more important now than I think it's ever been. Machinery Pete's talked about that quite a bit on, on his last uh, couple blog posts and, and, and uh, as well as some of the stuff that he's, he has uh, had on his Machinery Pete TV show. So, um, Gina, when you see those tractors right now, let's talk about like a, like a 9,020 series tractor. What's that market look like? What's some trends you're seeing there? Um, it really depends on the specs. So like you said earlier, like a PTO – that's going to be a huge driver for the value of that piece of machinery. Um, and I definitely think it's holding steady there. There was a time where I, you know, wasn't too excited about looking at one of those trades, but now it seems like they've kind of caught attention here again. And there's getting to be a little bit more of a stronger value or a stronger need for that type of tractor. Yeah. So Aaron, let's look at the yacht series now. So you're an older tractor guy. You like that older stuff. So, now we're talking about Ot Series tractors, and they're almost twenty years old. So, what do you see in that market, guys? You talk to what? What kind of demand do you see in for that out there in the uh, on the internet as well as the wholesale marketplace? Oh, the wholesale demand, quite honestly, is is a lot more for the Junker Eight Thousand, <laughs> is what I would call it. Um, you know, go going south or add some hours on it, and you know that market, the the less desirable market. For as far as you know, real wholesale activity, there that's that's an area where there just isn't a lot for good eight thousands because you you start splitting so many hairs between what. You know, if you look at it from this scenario, what we have in it, what I can sell it for, what he can buy it for, try to resell it, that's four areas, and there's not a lot of, you know, you are you really get to splitting hairs on, on Primo ones. From the farmer demand, there's still a good demand out there. There's still a lot of guys that, you know, smaller farmer that has a... 55 or a 60 and you know he's looking for that five to nine tractor you know five thousand nine thousand hours and that that market and that's what's driving the market up i think a lot is that that realm um i also know of a few instances where you know guys got a lot of later model stuff and they don't have that tractor that they you know they need it to have some horsepower that's why they don't want a 4440 but they're not you know it's not a get in and drive it every day it's a fourth fifth sixth tractor you know on down the line in the herd and those guys are actively seeking them too so 
It's it's definitely it's it's probably in my in my mind as far as from a business standpoint of it, trading and reselling for that tractor, it's probably the touchiest of them all. You know, even even though we're we just talked about the whole splitting hairs factor, it's it's just you know five thousand wrong on that tractor is is big. What? And it's also and it's also easy to do. You know, you're not going to be five thousand wrong on a forty four forty. Right. And if you're five thousand wrong on an eight R, it's not the end of the world. Well, but on a, cases on, on a tan, it's it's real easy to do, and it's not a desirable place to be. Yeah, a lot of cases, if you're ten or ten to seven thousand dollars off on a on those tractors, you could be ten to fifteen percent of the value of the machine. Mm-hmm. You know, so right, absolutely. You don't have a lot of margin for error. My personal opinion of those tractors, I think they're an awesome tractor. I think guys want them. I think they're a very valuable tractor. Um, and I think if you have a, a machine like that that's that's paid for and you're and you're just looking to generate some cash or, or maybe move up to another series or whatever that you're trying to do, man, I really think that selling that machine, um, the auction values that I'm seeing for these machines sell, it's the same price that we're getting for them. There's not a lot of difference between our auction, our retail price and what we actually are at the end of the day are actually selling them for and what auction value is. Let's talk about now 30 series tractors too. That's one that that's kind of, I think that that machine, whether it's an 8,030 or a 9,030, I think those are, that's a very much of a kind of a tweener. It seems like uh, it, it's, it, I think guys are looking at that and they're going to spend the kind of money to get a 30 series. They're going to try to find a, a higher hour R series or, or maybe a, a later or an earlier modern R series to, to trade up to. I think when we have a 30 series, we have to be pretty conscious about how we have them, how we're looking at them. Um, again, very desirable machine. Plenty of guys are looking for those and are trading for their OTT series up, maybe jumping into that 30 series. Um, but right now, again, we're seeing some of those come in too with 7,000 hours on them. So, Jeannie, when you when you were, we look at those machines a lot. We see them out there uh, coming, coming and going. Where do you think that that trend line is between the 30 series and that that early model R series and as far as guys wanting to buy that machine? Yeah, so what amazes me is I've seen um, some 30 series tractors go for, you know, well over 100 here on some auctions lately when for not very much more they could bump up to an 8R with 2,000 hours on it maybe. Um, so it it really is kind of getting to be a narrow, a more narrower scape. Um, and again, like I said, there's a lot of guys that they still want that 30 series tractor. They're not ready to bump up to the 8R. They're not ready to bump up to the emissions um, that are on those new R series tractors. So um, there's still a lot of guys that really like that 30 series tractor and, and they want to stick with it because I think, I think it's kind of a comfort zone too. Um, you know, like I said, they don't they don't necessarily want to jump up to an R series, so they're willing to maybe shell out a little bit more cash for that 30 series because there's not many of them out there. You know, whereas maybe the 8R market it is a little more heavily populated than that 30 series. Right. Yeah, like that's a that's a really good point. So, Aaron, when you're how many conversations? I have this conversation a lot with guys, and it's it, it really stems around they want an 8R, but they want a pre-def 8R, right? So when you're out there talking, how many guys are talking to you about a 30 series tractor for maybe less electronics or whatever it might be? 
um, even though they're very, very, have a lot of electronics on them. But how many guys you talk to say, you know what, I want to, I want a 8530, but I'm also would take like an 8335R or a, an 8235R, you know, something like that, 8310R, 8295R, something like that, where they're maybe filling that void, but they're really conscious about the deaf issue or they're conscious about the, um, the electronic issue. Oh, there's there's some of that. Um, deaf is getting to be more commonplace, and there's more units out there, so a lot of the fear factor is out of it. Um, there's still some guys that don't want nothing to do with it, as far as that goes. I think that's a pretty. I don't. I don't. It, it, that exists that there's guys that don't want anything to do with it, but I think that pop that population shrinks every day. Right. Um, just given what's out there, you know, if you have, it's, it's all in what the piece is. If you have a, say you got a, for whatever reason, an 8370R or an 8, a first gen 8345R and the 8370R has got some hours on it. The, the first gen 345 doesn't, you know, it's like some crazy low hour thing and they're pretty close in price. You're going to take the 370 more often than not. And, you know, then he's got, so that there are instances where the death isn't a big deal. It's it's still an issue. It's still a topic, but I think every day that population is less and less, but you're right. There is, there is some of that just like, just like guys, you know, that's what's pushing the 30 series, the 20 series, whatever if they're specced right and nice tractors and all that, that's that's what's really pushing that market too, I'm sure. But you know, at the end of the day it's it's the guy ought to look at it from dollars, you know, dollar for investment. Five years from now, that won't matter all that much that that tractor was super low houred and really nice and all that because it's an average tractor. You know, and that's that's what I've always told guys is they're well, I'd really like to find the eighty five thirty with three thousand hours. I'm like, Well, it's gonna cost you almost what this R is with three thousand hours, if not more, and five years from now, the R's worth more. Because your once upon a time low houred super special rig is just a tractor now. Right. So, Aaron, you just said you're right for the second week in a row. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. I need to. I need to take notes better so I make sure I don't say, say <laughs> foolish things like that. Good heavens! <laughs> right on. And I guess this cold thing is getting old, man. Gina. Gina, it is. Gina has a. Her and her husband have a have a uh, cattle operation, so she's she's been calving all. What for the last couple of weeks now? Oh yeah, last two weeks probably. So, and it's brutal cold. So I don't know. How's that going? The oh, it's it's going. <laughs> we had to move cows home um, yesterday. The pressure dropped, so those mama cows—they're not due for another seven to ten days here. And uh, we had five cows, or five cows have calves, so. Yeah. We decided to bring them home yesterday and get them close to the house so we can bring them up because it doesn't look like the temperature is going to be warming up anytime soon in the next few days here. So no, so it's 
but you know it's not as cold as it is in like North Dakota where it's like I don't even think the thermometer goes that low. I just we did have our the record year or record low here in the Panhandle. I think almost every city had record loads. Alliance negative twenty seven, and I think Sydney yeah. was negative ten. Yep. So that's ridiculous. It's silly. It's gross. Negative twenty seven is very cold. So you're you got some sheep coming now, don't you, Aaron? Oh yeah, yeah. For the last uh, two months. Yeah, Aaron's the as a big sheep baron here in the uh, Nebraska Panhandle. Oh. <laughs> uh, have, Aaron, Aaron has sheep. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> do you have Do you have some uh, some kids coming? Uh, no, because I don't raise goats. I have lamb right. coming. I thought a goat and a lamb was the same thing. I didn't realize they were different. No. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> I didn't realize there was a difference between the two. My bad. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's your bad for damn sure. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've covered it here for another week of the Moving Iron Podcast. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. I'd like to thank Kurt Hins for being on the podcast as well as Aaron and Gina. Remember, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can find Gina at... Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Regina Nargis, or my Twitter handles rrganoshek. Um, Instagram, Facebook, either of those work too. Okay. Aaron, where they find you at? On Twitter, at Aaron Fintel, Fintel as it's spelled, or on Facebook. All right. You can also send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also go to movingironllc.com. Here you can find information for the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of the Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there'll be a guest blogger writing on various topics from their point of view. Uh, Moving Iron LLC, actually, the website is getting to be is going to be revamped here pretty quick, so it should have a new website up soon. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And if you shop Amazon, please use the Amazon click-through at movingironllc.com. It won't cost you anything, and you'll still have the same experience you're accustomed to while supporting the podcast. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, this is Gina Nargis, Aaron Simple, and Casey Seymour, out. <laughs>